All right. So last week, we saw how very natural it is for us to exchange God for heart-level idols. How natural it is for us to try to find our hope and joy in substitutes for God and not in God himself. That is such a massive thing that we, that we deal with all the time. And so our, our hope has to be rooted in Jesus, in who he is, in what he's done for us. And we were able to look at that at the beginning of chapter 42. <clears throat> now today, uh, we're actually going to see something uh, similar, but, but uh, from a different angle. What we're going to see today from the rest of chapter 42 down through the fifth verse of chapter 44 is the intervening grace that we so desperately need. See, what, we, what we're going to see is that if, it's, if it wasn't for God taking the initiative, the initiation to intervene into our lives and into our circumstances and, and into our, uh, even into our brokenness, that we would be lost forever. We need God's intervening grace. We need God to break through in our lives. And I think that we recognize now more than ever our need for God to do this work. I think we're seeing our idols crumble before our eyes as we have lost so much of what we're used to. We've lost so much of the things that have made us comfortable. We have lost so much of our business as usual. And so now we're seeing these idols come crumbling down. And, and what we get to see at the, at the bottom of all this rubble and wreckage of the idols that we've propped up is a God who invites us to himself. And I am so thankful for our God who has done this for us. And I hope that the text in front of us will just fill your heart with joy for Jesus and what he's done. All right, so we're going to walk through this text. We're going to jump right in. We've got a lot to cover and so without any, without any further introduction, let's start reading at verse 18. And we'll read down to verse um, 25 to start with here. Hear you deaf, and look you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness' sake, to magnify his law and make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say restore. Who among you will give ear to this, will attend and listen for the time to come? 
who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderer? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned, in whose ways they would not walk, in whose law they would not obey? So he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle. It set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. So here, at the end of chapter 42, we are reminded of something very important. Something that makes us uncomfortable to hear and talk about, but something we need to, to embrace. Here it is. It's, it's not just that our idols fail us, but that we actually fail ourselves. We fail because of our sin. The spiritual senses that we were meant to have do not work properly. We're seeing here that God is referring to us as deaf and blind, as, as people trapped in holes and in prisons. He, he's expressing this reality that we are really in and of ourselves hopeless and, and cannot help or save ourselves. Our spiritual senses do not work properly because of sin. And so here's the deal. Um, we, we've got to wrestle with this. Now, before we get into some of this, we need to unpack this passage because you'll notice that God says here, who is blind but my servant? Now, if we remember from last week, back at the beginning of chapter 42, the servant in that, in that passage was Jesus, right? We made this whole big point about how the servant is what we need. We need the, the, the God who would come into our world not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So now why is God saying that his servant is deaf and blind and unable to understand and all these things? Who, is he still talking about Jesus? Well, no, he's not. Uh, this is, again, one of those things that we've got to recognize by context. But, but God is, is turning his attention not on his chosen servant, but on Israel, his people, his covenant people who were meant to be his servants, but failed to do so. This is putting into contrast the difference between Christ and, and each of us. Where Christ could perfectly serve the Lord in faithfulness, we cannot. Where Christ was able to, to live righteously before the Lord and obey the law, we cannot. And, and so here we have this, this shift in, in focus. It's no longer on Jesus in this moment. It's now on God's people and their inability to follow him and faithfully live the way he called them to live. And so here's, this is the reminder, right? It's reminding us that we are, are incapable in ourselves and, and without God's intervening grace, we are incapable of understanding, hearing, or seeing what God would have for us. We are deaf and we are blind without the grace of God intervening in our lives. We need to hear that. 
as unpleasant as it is, as uncomfortable as it is, as hard as it is to admit these things, we need to recognize first out of the gate that we are not what we ought to be. We can't live the perfect life that Christ lived. And so we need him. We need him to come into our lives. We need him to speak into our lives. We need him to intervene with his grace. And that's what happens in the passage. So let's keep reading. Let's keep going because this is where we're going to see God enter into our brokenness. Look at the top of verse Uh, verse 1 of chapter 43. It says, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom. Cush and Seba as in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Wow. What an incredibly encouraging passage this is. These verses are are reminding us of something so important. They are reminding us of this, that God knows our brokenness. God knows our helplessness. God knows you cannot save yourself. And so what does he do? He enters in with grace. He invades our lives with grace. He makes us new people. He he creates us. He created you as you are in your physical self, but he recreates you. He gives you a new birth. Jesus talks about it in John chapter 3. He talks about this new birth, this what theologians call the regeneration of the heart, this new creation that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. We, we have this God who steps into our world through Jesus Christ and he makes us new. He walks with us. He calls us to himself. He is with us in all of our troubles and trials. You see what he's saying here? He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. 
when, when you go through rivers, it will not overcome you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned. You will not be consumed. Why? Because God has called us to himself. He has made us his people. He has done all of this work in us through Jesus, as we will see in a few moments. But we're, we're seeing our, our idols come toppling down, and we're even seeing, seeing ourselves and the hope that we might put in ourselves come toppling down. Where we do not have the spiritual capacity to save ourselves, God steps in and gives to us all that we need by his grace. This is wonderful news. This is so helpful and encouraging to to me, and I hope it is to you. Let's keep going. So verse, um, we're still in chapter 43, verse 8 through 13. It says, Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together, and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right, and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declare and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also, henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? What God is telling us in these verses is this, that God's grace is at work in the world, We can't stop him from working in the world. That's what this last verse in verse 13 says, that there is none who can deliver from my hand. I work and who can turn it back. In other words, what God is saying is I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to accomplish my purposes. So God's grace is at work in the world and it draws people from every corner of the earth. That's what it says in verse 9, that all the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. God's intention is to save people from all corners of the earth. God is on this mission, but you know what's incredible about this? It is that God has actually invited us, has called us to be a part of this mission. Notice that he says in verse 10, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. God has called his people, called you and me to be his witnesses in the world. God has done this from the very beginning of the church. Back in the book of Acts, 
before Jesus is ascended into heaven. He's raised from the dead. He's with his disciples for another 40 days. And before he is ascended into heaven where he sits now on the throne, he tells his disciples that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God is saying to his people, listen, you will speak for me. You will tell people of who I am. And we as the church have that beautiful call and opportunity to make Jesus' name known among the peoples. What an amazing opportunity we have. Let's not forget our calling. And so we're, we're proclaiming the greatness of God. We're proclaiming how he draws people from every corner to himself. And, and he invites us in on that mission. All right, verse 14 through 21, let's read. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives. Even the Chaldeans and the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Now, now we, we got to stop there for just a second because there's something huge that we don't want to gloss over. We're going to get down to verse 21 for this point that I'm going to make here. But before we finish reading, we got to stop and just think about what God is saying. In verse 14, he says, For your sake I send to Babylon. So if you remember, if you've listened to the sermons in the last few weeks, you remember that God has told Israel that Babylon is going to come and basically haul them all off, make them all their slaves, essentially, and and to take all their stuff. And yet here, this is crazy, here God is saying, it is for your sake that I send Babylon. It's for your sake. So, so here's the thing we need to just, just this is sort of an, an aside. It's not the main point of what I'm going to talk about here, but this is a really important aside. It's, we, we tend to think about the things that happen to us. And we, we think about those things and we go, okay, this is bad, therefore God must not be in it. Well, that's not always true, is it? God doesn't sin and God doesn't, you know, love sin, but God can use bad things. In fact, does use bad things all the time for our good. God is telling Israel, I'm sending Babylon for your sake. And let me just, I know this is real to us, but maybe just think for a second that perhaps God is using the coronavirus for our sake. I don't know how. (laughs) I don't know in what ways. I mean, I can think of a couple of, of examples perhaps, but listen, I don't know all the answers to this. I don't know how all this shakes out, but what I do know is that God is using all of these things for our good. In fact, in in Acts chapter 4, we see 
that, uh, that God does indeed use that which is evil to bring about good. In fact, um, in Acts 4, if I can turn there, I'm kind of off script at the moment, so <clears throat> hang in there. Here's what the, here's what the disciples prayed um, before, you know, when, as things were pretty bad. Here's what they prayed. Persecution is going very, very bad right now. They are being arrested. They're being beaten for being Christians. And, and in their prayer to God, here's one of the things they say. It says, For truly in this city, in Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. What are they talking about? They're talking about the death of Christ. They're talking about the crucifixion. You got Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel all complicit in Jesus' death. And yet what they say to the Lord is, that was your plan. You planned that. You predestined that to do what you wanted to do through it. So we don't know what this virus may do or what we may encounter through this. We don't know. We're not going to presume to know what God is doing, but we know he's doing something. And, and listen, no matter what may come, Jesus has already defeated our greatest enemy. He's already defeated death by his death and resurrection. And so all we're doing is we're waiting for the day in which we meet him face to face. Sorry, so that was, that was a side note. It's free. You don't have to pay for that. Okay, let's jump in. Let's keep going here. <clears throat> Verse 15, uh, 16. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. I give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. So here is the, the real heart of these verses. This is really what we need to hear today. It's that the grace of God in the person of Jesus brings to us a new and better salvation than the old ways. He's, he's preparing the people's hearts for a new thing that God will do. 
And what was that new thing? The new thing was Jesus, the new covenant, the new relationship that we can have with Jesus because of his death and resurrection. We're seeing this this amazing reminder that God in Christ has brought about salvation and newness of life for each of us who trust in him. And let's keep going. It says in verse 22, through 24. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been very weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not brought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins and have wearied me with your iniquities. So here again, just in case we've forgotten, um, we are not the ones that save ourselves. It's in fact this grace that God gives us um, comes purely from him and not from ourselves. We're not saved because we're so good or so willing or so faithful. We're not saved because we deserve it. We definitely don't. In fact, what we're being reminded of is this, that God's grace intervenes for us and we have largely rejected it uh, and, and have largely failed to appreciate it. So God is reminding Israel here, you have not done any part of your, of, of your bargain here. You have not done anything to impress me. You have not done anything to help yourself. In fact, you're incapable of doing that. All that they've brought to him and all that we bring to him is sin. That's all we have. I, I've said it before. I'm sure I'll say it again that the only thing that we bring to Jesus is our need. We have nothing in our hands but need. We don't have anything of impressiveness or anything that he can look at and go, wow, that's so great. All we have is brokenness and need. Thankfully, Jesus can take that and deal with it. Look at verse 25. He says, I... I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. Your first father sinned and your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary, deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. But now, hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. 
I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob and another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. So you see what's happening here? You tracking with this? We, we bring nothing to Jesus but our iniquities and transgressions and sins. And God, in the midst of that, brings us grace. He brings us life. He brings us water in the desert. The grace of God comes to us, not because we're so good and so deserving, but because of the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, who has removed all of our guilt, covered all of our sins, forgiven us of all of our rebellion. Isaiah is showing us that though we are sinful and broken people, we have an amazing Savior who will come to rescue us. And here's what we need to know. That rescuer has come. His name was Jesus. His name is Jesus. And he came into the world to save us. If we flip over to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, we, we get a, a beautiful picture of this very thing. The thing that Isaiah has um, foretold of, Jesus fulfills. Look at what Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Translation, Paul is saying, we have nothing to offer God. We are just dead sinners. That's what Isaiah reminds us of, right? That we are people who have nothing but need. So what's our hope? Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. So, so the great love that God had for us was even when we were dead in our sin. Not when we fixed ourselves, not when we improved ourselves, but while we were still dead in our sin. It says, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show, his, uh, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, 
not the result of work, so that no one may boast. We have no reason to brag. Why? Because our salvation wasn't from us or through us or because of us. It was all because of the grace and mercy and love of Jesus. So what Isaiah foretells us of, Jesus fulfills for us. Guys, we have this amazing Savior. A Savior that we do not deserve, but freely gives to us. Our God steps in and meets us at our greatest moment of need. Jesus is for you kindness and grace and goodness. And all of this points to his glory. And and man, oh man, I hope that you have tasted that. I hope you've seen that. I hope you've heard that. Listen, going back to Isaiah, we, we can't see properly and we can't hear properly unless the grace of God intervenes and invades our lives. And I sure hope it has for you. But maybe it hasn't. Maybe you're sitting wherever you are right now and and you have not experienced the grace of God in this way. I want to encourage you to do that today right where you are. And it's very simple. There's nothing magical about it. It's really simple. Here's what you need to do. Three things. One, you need to admit that you're a sinner. Admit to the Lord through prayer, just by talking to God. You need to admit to him that there is nothing in you that is impressive or good or able to save, but that all you have is sin and brokenness and need. You have to admit that to him. Secondly, you have to believe on Jesus Christ. You have to believe that Jesus Christ being God made man, lived a perfect life for you, died on a cross in your place to to remove all your sin from you by taking that sin upon himself and that that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead on the third day giving you salvation and life in him. Believe those things. Believe those things with all your heart. And then thirdly, come to him. Come to him. Give your life to him. Receive his grace, whatever you want to call it. But we come to Jesus for our salvation. We admit we're sinners. We believe on Jesus and we come to him. That's as simple as it is. That's what it means to trust in Jesus. And if you've done that, then I'm, I praise God with you that, that you have um, that you have taken that step. And if you have done that even today, would you, would you reach out to somebody and let them know? But in the meantime, let's, let's stop and be grateful. Have joyful hearts that Jesus Christ would meet us in our, in our brokenness, would come to our aid, would be our Savior, the Savior that we so desperately need because we cannot save ourselves. And if we didn't have him, we would be hopelessly lost. There is nothing that we have and nothing that we can trust in aside from Jesus that will bring us the hope, joy, and, and um, eternal life that he has for us.
And so let's be grateful for that. Let's respond with our hearts today. Let's respond by singing to Jesus. We're going to we're going to have some time to sing together at the end of this. We're going to have some time to give of our offerings as well. Um, you can do that by uh, going online to our website, springbrookanago.org. Click on give and you can do that right there. Or you can drop a, a check or whatever in the, in the mail and send that to the church. Um, we'd encourage you to give as a as a response to Jesus. We'd encourage you to sing in response to Jesus. And, and listen, um, while we're apart, we're, we're not ta- partaking of the Lord's table, but we will, and we will celebrate and probably appreciate it so much more uh, as we gather together again when this is all over with. But in the meantime, let's be grateful for Jesus, all that he's done for us, and let's give him glory today. And uh, let's pray, and then we'll sing together. Father, we thank you for Jesus and thank you that you have done for us what we could never do for ourselves. We pray that you would meet us here even now to draw us to you and help us, Lord, to to rejoice in who you are. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.